Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. This is a bit of a surprise. Um, Pastor John has been ill all week. And um, Thursday evening, I was out running my chainsaw with my wife, cutting up some wood, and I felt the text in the phone in my pocket. And, and uh, Pastor John said, I'm not going to be able to preach Sunday. Can you, can you take it? <laughs> An interesting story. He said, you can preach on anything you want. I'll complete the, the weird series uh, lesson next week. And he, he expects to be able to be back at work tomorrow, so he's feeling much better. And interesting thing, though, around Monday, um, <clears throat> sometimes you go through these seasons in life, at least I have, where, where I feel like God's got a, a fire hose of, of some topic that he's just blowing, blowing on me. And I've had that for the last many months. And recently, I started reading N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. And... Um, it, it just kind of sums up a lot of the, the fire hose information and uh, the things that the Lord's been teaching me. And, and on Monday, I had this thought, man, I wish I could preach this week. And, <laughs> and, and I thought, well, there's no way. We're at the end of the weird series, and John's going to wrap it up. And uh, uh, I guess you have to be careful what you pray for, Right. Uh, I've heard that about patience. Don't pray for patience because you're going to get a lot of trying uh, samples to figure out how to work it out. So I got it. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I hope this is the Lord's will. It's my understanding that the, the topic that's been water hosed on me is very, very consistent with the weird series that we've been covering. In fact, that's one of the water hose elements. Uh, we went to visit our son, uh, Zach, and his family back in uh, May in Minnesota, or I guess it was September, and uh, the minister preached a sermon on this topic. It's like I can't get away from it. Um, and so I thought, well, I've got I've to get it out. I've got to present it. Uh, hopefully, I don't mess it up. But uh, <clears throat> the topic is hope, our Christian hope. And you know, the big three that Paul talks about, the big three qualities of the Christian life are faith, hope, and love. We talk a lot about what we believe, and we talk about uh, our necessity to love God and, and to love our neighbors a lot and ways to do that. Sometimes I think hope gets neglected. And uh, so I want to use Revelation 21.5 as a springboard to talk about hope because it's kind of the end of the Bible, and it's the place we're afraid to go to because everybody uh, argues about what it means. But I think we, we are poorer as Christians in our Christian life because we don't 
dig through books like Revelation for the gems in there that are meant for us to give us hope. Um, and we need that. So for starters, I have this picture uh, of uh, this is a microcosm of life that happened to me this week. Uh, and it, it's meant to be kind of an illustration uh, image-wise. And this is uh, Eustace Conway and his um, friend Preston Roberts and uh, from the Mountain Men show. And, and I kind of like that show. It covers some things that you don't usually get to see on television these days. And, uh, and I was watching, I was flipping through the, the TV guide and I saw the Skills and Thrills streaming channel was playing, was binging Mountain Men episodes from past years. And so it was wind down time, everybody gone to bed. And so I flipped on the, uh, the Mountain Men show and got to this stage in the show where Eustace and Preston were riding their horses back from town. And uh, there's a, a dead squirrel on the side of the road. And uh, Eustace gets off his horse and picks up the squirrel and he starts going like this with it. It's a dead squirrel. It's a roadkill. He pulls it up to his, his nose. He goes, and sniffs it. I'm thinking, what is Eustace thinking of with this roadkill squirrel? And then, cut. And for two minutes, I get to see repeated versions of, of um, Dr. Mehmet Oz. He, he uh, prescribed diet supplements that he knew didn't work, and all he's doing is getting rich off of your money. Immediately cut to John Fetterman. He lived in his parents' basement till he was 49 and never makes a living on anything on his own. And when he got out of his parents' basement, he put murderers on the streets of Pennsylvania all over the place. Immediately cut back to the very same Mehmet Oz commercial. And that it was three times in a row. And I didn't want to see the fourth one. And, uh, and there was still time to go before I could find out what Eustace was going to do with the roadkill squirrel. And I'm thinking, oh my, Lord, end it all now. I can't get rid of this. Let's get out of this. This is stupid. Um, and, and so finally, it does cut back, and, and Eustace says, I've eaten lots of roadkill animals, and, and, and it's, a, it's a thing I do commonly. And he, they take him back, and he butchers the squirrel. And he and Preston take it apart and with a rabbit, and they put it into a little bit of grease. And they said, we just put some flour and salt and pepper on it when they're not too messed up. And we cook them up here in some grease. And they said, you know, the little front legs of the squirrels get done first. And they pulled them up, and they closed the shot with them eating little squirrel legs. And I thought, now this is compelling television. This is what you hope for when you watch TV. Um, you don't want to see that stuff in the middle. You just want to fast forward through it. Hopefully you get what life is like. I think we all have those, those moments where life gets exciting and then it gets interrupted by something you just don't want to go through. Uh, and you wish you could just fast forward to it and end it all uh, and get to the part where the Lord returns. But I think we sometimes, uh, what I'm learning from the things I'm reading in the Bible, from the the books I'm reading is that we kind of have an off-kilter view of what it is that hope is, you know, what we're hoping for. So uh, what's our view of the, of the future state? I have another nice picture for you. Uh, you sometimes get this idea that 
that you're going to be assigned a cloud in heaven, and you're going to get your angel wings, you're going to become an angel. You'll get this, I guess it's a little saint's halo to show how perfect you become. You get assigned a harp, and you'll be sitting there on the cloud forever, twinking on your harp. Now, is there any harpists in here? Anybody? We don't have any. Well, you know, I guess everybody's going to be learning. Um, the problem is that uh, this isn't a very biblical picture. It, if you read the Bible about what our hope is and the content of it, it, it isn't this at all. Uh, you're not going to be an angel. It doesn't say anything about everybody getting assigned a harp. Um, what we want to do today is explore the actual biblical content of the, of the hope that we are to have. And it should be something that uh, no matter whether you're a dispensational premillennialist or an amillennialist or a preterist or a futurist or whateverist, um, that these are things we share in common uh, in our hope, that we ought to be able to say, yeah, the Bible does say this, and, and therefore we ought to hope for it and it ought to, to make a difference in our lives. So let's look at Revelation 21.5. I'm picking that as the end, and we're going to back into present-day implications. We're going to go from the hope back to what does that mean for how I live now. So Revelation 21.5, this is a picture of in heaven at the end, or actually it's not in heaven. I'll get to that in a minute. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Um, so in this passage, God promises to make everything new. What does that mean? What is everything? Just ahead of that uh, in Revelation, it mentions that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that out of heaven there will be a new capital city of Jerusalem, and it goes into this long description of this gigantic city of beauty that will, will be seated on the new earth. And, um, and it's kind of the permanent state of, of, of things ahead of time when, when God is going to make everything new. And part of the issue we have when we uh, translate things is that sometimes the words that are used to describe something, they don't carry exactly the same connotations and meaning as they do in the translated to language. So I want to look at uh, the word new, what its uh, Greek word is, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I, you know, I'm relying on the interlinear Bible and, and Strong's Concordance to give me these definitions, but I've heard enough scholars talk about this. In fact, uh, our son's minister mentioned that the word new doesn't have the same meaning. We tend to think of new as, okay, I'm throwing out the old toothbrush and I'm getting a new toothbrush, right? Uh, a different manufactured thing. Um, that isn't what the word new means in the Greek. So let's look at the, the word here. I've got a, a little display for you. Uh, it's based on, it's kaina, but it's, it's based on the word kahinos. Kahinos, uh, the definition is properly new in quality, innovation, fresh in development or opportunity because not found exactly like this before. Think about that a little bit in context of how we usually think of new. Notice that in this 
word, there is continuity with the past, what was before, and there is innovation for the future. So things are, it won't be exactly like it was, but some things will, are carried forward. So there's a refreshing going on, a making new, a making into a state of newness that is the intent of God with his creation. With, his, with heaven and earth and, and Jerusalem and with you, frankly, with your body. There's, there's a newness that's going to happen, but there will be continuity with the old from before. And this is part of uh, when we hope, we often think about the, the new in the new toothbrush way. You know, everything's going to change. We're scrapping all this stuff. It's going out in the garbage dump, getting burned up, and something completely different is coming along. But that isn't what the, what the Word is talking about. It's talking about uh, a kind of continuity in, in the newness that God intends to do. And we don't tend to focus on the continuity part. And the, what that does is divorces us from our, uh, our present life which is not the intent and not how the apostles lived. And so I want to back up from understanding that newness is talking about uh, a refreshing, a, a, uh, that type of thing, into what it is. So a better picture, I searched the Internet for people who actually took what Revelation described and tried to put it onto a piece of paper. This is a better view of maybe the future state. It's probably not perfect. You'll probably be able to pick it apart, but you can see the, the light coming from God himself lighting the place at the throne. You can see coming out from the throne a river of life coming down the middle. You can see the, the trees of life growing on, says the tree of life will grow on both sides of the river and will fruit in season all 12 months of the year. So you can always, in other words, have eternal life. Uh, you can see the, the rooms off to the side where people live. Um, it's probably a better picture than the cloud uh, with you turning into an angel and all those kind of things. So uh, think about that, where we're going. And so uh, the, the question becomes, as you consider continuity as well as innovation and improvement, how do we know what gets through? You know, we tend to think of our soul getting through and maybe just that. But uh, is that really the biblical picture of what gets through to this refreshing process? Um, I want to start with uh, an illustration here. I'll let you see all sides of it. This is from my early high school years uh, in art class, uh, Mr. Barclay. How many had Mr. Barclay as a teacher? I know some of you did. Um, recognize that out there. When we started to get into the section of art class where we were to uh, start making things out of clay and firing them in the kiln, the, the first assignment I did is I, I made this, this, I think it was a bowl. I don't have it anymore. Um, it was some kind of a bowl or something. And, and I, you know, I tried to make it as perfectly round as it could be. And, and, you know, it looked really pretty and, and uh, I turned it in when it was done, and, and Mr. Barclay had this talk with me. He said, I'm going to give this a C. And I thought, man, I tried really hard to make it perfect. And he said, you know, 
this is the work of an artisan. And I don't know if anybody else got this speech or if it was just me, but uh, he said, this is the work of an artisan. You're just copying something that was done before, and it's just average work. And I'm thinking, man, I'm a straight-A student type guy, and I don't want to keep getting C's, and, and uh, I, don't want to, I don't really like being called an artisan. He said, I want you to be an artist. I want you to be creative. And, and I thought, well, I do know what he wants. I like being creative. And um, so I, I started fashioning this. And it's made out of, you know, four layers and a bottom here. It's got like burlap here and, I don't know, a pop can lid here and some knife cuts here. And I forget what I did here. And I put these two colors on them, alternating on it. And I purposely didn't make it perfect. You can still see my finger pinches here where I put the parts together and uh, that sort of thing. And I turned it in. I got an A. Uh, he said, this is good. And uh, it got displayed at Cochranton Junior Senior High School in the display case as an example of the work of an artist. And um, it was grade A work. It still survives my wife thinks this thing is destined for the fires of Gehenna. Um, and, and I think it has a chance of making it through to sit on the shelf in my little room uh, in the future state. I'm not sure that it does. But I think it at least has a chance. So I wasn't allowed to display it in, in, my, in our house. So I had to take it to work. And... Uh, so it collected things. It collected a cigar from my buddy uh, Steve Hosnick's first baby. And it, it collected uh, a red and white uh, store set of matches. I don't know how that happened. Uh, it's got other memories in it. I've got 1985. I don't know if I can get them out without uh, dumping it all. It's got a slinky in it. It's got... Uh, got 1985 Mardi Gras uh, coins from my, uh, my Louisiana French guy friend from work, Bill Plochet. And so I got those in there. So you get the idea. It, it's, a, it's a memento of uh, a lot of things for me. And, and I don't know what's, what's going to make it to the other side. But I do know this. I learned from Mr. Barclay that we ought to be turning in grade A work that lasts. Um, and, and I think that's a life lesson for, for what we ought to be doing with our hope, our Christian hope. And so let's, let's talk about that a little bit as to whether you're going to be an artisan in your Christian life or an artist. Um, so that, that, that process of, of what makes it through and what does not, we call judgment. And we often think of judgment as a big club, and uh, we did this wrong, pow. We did this wrong, whack. You did this wrong, pow. But uh, judgment, its primary thing, it, it involves some throwing stuff in the, in the fire, but it also involves retaining some things. It's a making things right act. And what we want to know, is that really the biblical picture? And it turns out it really is. If... You can look all over the place. I'm just going to pick one. 
And, and that's true of every Bible verse here. Uh, we stu- Tony picked a verse today that goes with slide 11, and I could have used it instead of the one I picked. Um, they, this is a mindset for living in hope now that the apostles had. And if you realize that that's what they're at, it, it just springs out at you all over as you read the word. And, and hopefully you can adopt it. But let's look at uh, Jesus' teaching on the judgment from Matthew's gospel. It says, the Son of Man, who's Jesus, will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Some things that you, you may just blow through as you think about that, because the, the picture of judgment is so uh, stark, uh, the throwing things into the blazing furnace to get rid of them. But notice that uh, when this judgment occurs, the kingdom of Jesus has already been in place. It's already started. This weeding out, it says, he will weed out of his kingdom. That means his kingdom is already there when the judgment occurs. Notice that everything is not pitched into the blazing furnace. Uh, not everything and not every person. The, the key being the, the things that cause sin and the, things that, and the people that do evil. Some things remain. There's continuity between the kingdom of Christ here on earth to the future state when heaven and earth uh, are merged into one entity together. So this is really important concept to grasp, that, that, uh, that everything is going to be judged for either pitching or keeping uh, into the new kingdom. And this is the beginning of what we hope for. Um, and it should drive the way we live. But uh, notice here that that kind of seems like maybe we're going to be judged too. Um, and uh, I thought we weren't judged by our works. I thought that that didn't happen. What the Bible says is that we are saved by our belief in Christ, and Christ makes us, qualifies us to be righteous. We're credited with righteousness. But it openly states in many places that what we do, we will have to give an account for. That, that our works will be judged. And that's not necessarily a big club thing. It might be deciding whether or not my vase gets through. Uh, it might be keeping and saying, look what you did here in the name of Jesus. So uh, judgment doesn't have to be always thinking of the negative side of it because there's some keeper sides of it. And if our hope is correct and we live by that hope, there should be some keepers, and, and is that a biblical idea? Yes, it is. Let's look at 1 Corinthians three eleven to 15. Uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Uh, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We all start there. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. 
It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So as a believer, you are uh, tasked with living with hope, and you will do some things. And some of those things are gold, hay, I'm sorry, gold, silver, and, and precious stones, costly stones. They're things that are indicative of who you are uh, as a, a resurrected new person uh, spiritually, and, and they are things that you will be kept, will be kept. And the other stuff where you've wasted your time here on earth is going to go out into the trash heap. And, and uh, of course, this is a, an image, but the idea is like Mr. Barclay's artic, artistic idea to me. You need to be doing your best. You need to be doing your best work. It means something. It matters. God's going to take the kingdom and weed it out and transform it into something much better and new, but the stuff that you did, it counts. It means something. It's, it's a kind of the content of our hope that should compel us to action. And, and you might be thinking, all right, so I'm going to spend, uh, a, I, don't know, I, can, I can afford maybe 10 or 15% of my time doing this living in hope thing, uh, building stuff out of gold, but I got li- to eat, I got to sleep, I've got to, uh, uh, you know, make a living, and that stuff doesn't count, right? It, it, it's uh, just kind of throwaway stuff. Uh, is that the way that we should approach life? Um, so what qualifies as building on the foundation of Jesus Christ? How much of your life can potentially qualify as building on the foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, and costly stones? Uh, let's look at how the apostles thought about it. And this is the slide where Tony picked a verse from another a letter that shows how consistent they were in thinking about this, because Paul puts the same thing in a different context to, uh, 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 in this case, slaves. Now, imagine being a slave where you can't even decide what you do. I mean, you're told what to do all the time. You have very limited freedoms. Uh, you might become a, a Christian, a follower of Christ, and you say, how, how can I even spend any time doing anything that is gold, silver, or costly stones. This is what he told the slaves. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Uh, wow. Uh, the, va- the work that a slave did, um, it has value. If, if it's built on the right foundation. The work that you do all the time, everything you do, uh, it's an approach to living. It's approach to living recognizing that the new life in you has started now, and it's progressing to something. You can do anything in the name of the Lord except sin, you know, no sinning. But uh, And I'm not saying we never sin, but I'm saying that that doesn't count. That's going to get burned. But you can do anything that is uh, good in the name of the Lord, and it's valuable. It's rewardable. It's keepable activity. 
Um, and so you wonder, all right, so this is nice theory. Do we have any concrete examples of anyone who's already gone through this process or anything that has been in the renewed state? Why, yes, we do. We have a full report of it, uh, not as complete as we might like to have, but it has a lot of information. Uh, The Bible tells us that Jesus has already gone through the renewal of the body. He's already uh, gone through that process, and it says many places that we are going to go through, us who believe, that same thing that Jesus went through. Exactly the same thing. We're going to be given bodies like his. That's what the word says. That's what's coming in the future. And we're going to be put into a place uh, where we can live as God originally intended us to live. So we have some pretty cool descriptions of what Jesus did after his resurrection. And I think unless you sit down and focus on it, you might blow through it. But think about the list of things that he did. I I made a list here. I went through the four Gospels last night. First is that his body that was buried is gone and the tomb is empty. So it's not a full replacement. The the old body had something to do with the resurrection. His, His body is resurrected, renewed, immortal, and indestructible. So he's not going to die again. You can't kill Jesus. And you're going to get a body like that one. It's going to be indestructible, immortal. Uh, His body retains its scars and wounds from the crucifixion. Thomas is encouraged to stick his finger into the hole in the side of Jesus where the spear was put in while he was hanging on the cross and to touch the scars on his hands. Uh, So there's continuity with uh, his past life. He bears the marks of his Christian life. He was Christ himself. He bears the marks of what he did. They carry through to the future state. He remembers his purpose and plan from before his death. So there's continuity in the brain. He's got, uh, he knows the stories of what he did with his disciples. Um, He uh, is able to enter a locked room without a key and without the door being opened for him. So this new body has some properties that the old body didn't have. There's innovation. There's something different about it. Uh, in how it relates to the, the presence of, or being on the earth. Uh, he can be touched and is not a ghost. So it's a real body. It's physical. They, he encouraged the, them. At one point, he asked them not to hold, uh, Mary not to hold on to him. But later, he encourages them to, to touch him. Go ahead. You, I'm real. Uh, he eats fish. He has some fish at one meal. So it's not like the uh, Casper the Ghost movie where they're all sitting around the table gorging themselves and all the food's falling straight down onto the floor because uh, he's got no substance to hold it in place. He eats fish and it stays in, in, inside. Uh, he knows where the schools of fish are. Uh, he tells his disciples, put your net over there. There's some fish there. You've been fishing all night. And they drop it in. Of course, that's when they recognize the person yelling at them from the bank is the Lord Jesus when they get a giant catch. Um, he prepares or he starts a charcoal fire. It's interesting. It actually specifies the kind of fire it was. 
Somehow he had some charcoal he, he had present, and he makes a charcoal fire. He prepares, he cooks. He prepares a meal of bread and fish for the disciples to eat when, when they come on. And he invites them to bring more of the fish that they caught. He teaches his disciples. He commissions his disciples to go out in all the world and tell them about this. That instill this hope in everybody around the world. Um, and he is able to pass between the realms of heaven and earth. Someday they're going to be joined as one. Right now, you can't be in both places at the same time, but Jesus is able to traverse them. So he returns to the Father. Later, he, he returns and confronts uh, Saul of Tarsus and gets him saved. So Jesus is able to pass between those realms uh, successfully. So that's the body. Put it in your head. That's the kind of body we're going to get. We're not going to be God ourselves. We're not going to be God's, but we will be his image. Um, so when does it start? When does the renewal of the kingdom of heaven and earth start? That's the question. Um, the uh, Lord's Prayer has in it the statement that we want to, uh, to ask that the will, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there there's a there's an indication there that Jesus is thinking of the kingdom of earth right now as the disciples oh, went crazy there. Uh, the disciples began to follow him after his resurrection. Uh, the, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew says it pretty well. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we can see here that Jesus is is approaching this as his authority is now. He has, we know that his will is done in heaven. That's part of the Lord's Prayer. We're part of making it happen on earth. We're the outposts for the new kingdom that already has started. Um, he's the Lord of us, and we're supposed to be together showing the world what the kingdom is actually like uh, in everything that we do. Um, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, uh, did they actually live like this? And, and here's a couple more examples of, of verses just to, to drill it in. Uh, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. That's from Hebrews. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So it's not in vain. What you do now is not in vain. Uh, the Lord will remember it. He'll, he'll recall it. Um, at the judgment, it will stand. So, you know, we're made to be the image of God here on earth, not to be God himself, but to be his image. He's given us all kinds of qualities. Uh, think about God's qualities. The uh, He's creative. He... Uh, 
he loves beauty. If you can't tell that, you know, in this season when you go outside, you're blind. Uh, and if you're blind, you can find, uh, if you actually are blind, you can find beauty in other way, in music, in other things. Uh, so he's made us creative uh, on, and uh, made us love, made us desire community. Uh, so what are some of the things you could do? I, I made a list. This is not exhaustive, not an exhaustive list, but things that you can do in hope, uh, working at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So love God and show it through worship. I thought worship today, our music part was beautiful. I, I really think that, that the spirit was moving here. Uh, the, the things we did weren't completely scripted. Uh, uh, Steve did some things at the end, and I said, go with it. It fits what I'm talking about. Uh, so love God. Show it through worship. Love those around you as you love yourself. Show it through action and words. You can get baptized. That was part of the, the commission. You can learn the Bible. You can partake in a communion service. You can invite others to become followers of Jesus, regardless of whether or not they are like you. We can go out and tell people that's what we're supposed to do. You can pray by yourself. You can pray in groups. We had a beautiful prayer time this morning uh, before the service, praying for all of you today. You can create something beautiful, wonderful, or useful. Be an artist. Be an artist. You can, I don't know, build something, make a garden, uh, uh, Tend the garden, you can uh, write a song, you can sing a song, you can dance. Uh, all of it can be done for the Lord. Do something beautiful because that's what our Creator has made us to want to do. Don't just kind of be in the dredges of life all the time. Uh, make music. Be a good citizen of your community. You can do that. Be a good employee. You might have to be an artisan as an employee. It's okay. It's not C-grade work if that's what your uh, role is, your vocation. Uh, it's okay to be an artisan in that state. Bake delicious chocolate chip cookies. Uh, you can make them uh, as honoring the Lord, and you can invite me to have some. <laughs> I'd be happy. Um, develop skills because, you know, the, the people that you want to hang out with, they appreciate you having skills. I learned that from Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, be a good manager or steward of what you have. All of us have some stuff, some things that God has entrusted you with. Manage them well. Uh, live the weird life. I put that in here because really that's the tie-in here. This is kind of the why behind the, the specifics we've been studying for the last five weeks and we'll complete next week. Uh, why do we want to live differently than is normal? And this is why. It's because we have hope. We have a Christian hope. So uh, don't give up and try to coast into eternal bliss. Um, live each day in hope. It's, it's a life-changing way to approach life. It it affects everything we do. Rest well. You know, have good sleeps. Um, enjoy the, the world, the good part of the world, not the bad parts. The good part of the world that, that God has made, because he's not throwing that part away. He's weeding out the things that cause sin and those who do evil. Uh, be part of those who do good. 
And uh, Paul said, you know, you think about Paul's life. He, he got uh, rocks thrown at him uh, until they thought he was dead, and he still lived. He got a, bit by a poisonous snake, and he lived. He was in a shipwreck. He got thrown in jail. He got beaten. Um, he was hungry sometimes, but it wasn't always like that. Sometimes he had good things. And, and he wrote that the, the, pres- the uh, opportunity to bear and share the gospel message, the good news that Jesus is Lord and the kingdom is going to be established here on earth one day and that you can be part of it. He said uh, he considered that what he was going through as momentary light afflictions. And then he used three contrasting words about what it was going to be like in the future. It'll be eternal weight of glory. It'll be heaviness and substantial forever and ever. It's worth it to do things in hope now. And we can do things all the time in hope, regardless of, of what it is you're, you're called to do. Now, I'm thinking the, the, the Oz Fetterman commercials, they're going in the trash heap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> somebody said, thank you, Jesus. I'm with you. Uh, I don't know about my vase. But, you know, keep, keep plugging. Keep doing things. Uh, keep doing things in the name of the Lord and, and uh, love him completely. Love the people around you and live in hope because they count. They really mean something. Hopefully that's blessing to you to consider life that way. It, it really is, is inspiring me right now as the, as the fire hose from the Lord uh, in many different sources keeps hitting me. So let's close. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for uh, faith, hope, and love. And today we considered hope. I pray that you'd bless us with a constant uh, thinking of that, of this hope, that, that we can take our faith and put it into action with hopeful things, that we can do the things that, that you are transforming us into being able to do as you enable us to be stronger and stronger and to do things that matter uh, for the future. Help us to not be small in our vision, not be uncreative, but to go out and just see the, the fields that are ripe for harvest and to go out and do the work that you've called us to do. May we encourage each other with these words today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I think there's some donuts back there. Enjoy them well. We hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging. We just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen. And if you'd like, please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, 
Go online and visit ccubchurch.org. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, we just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.